Hey, everybody. Welcome to another Baseball America podcast. I'm Kyle Glazer. Got another great show for you today. We're breaking down the twin system. And to do that, we are joined by Carlos Colazzo. Carlos, the Twins have had a pretty decent run of success here the last few years. They won their second straight division title in the shortened 2020 season. It was their third playoff appearance in the last four years. But alas, once again, they were not able to get out of the first round. They have not gotten out of the first round of the postseason since 2002, something that obviously has been a thorn in the organization's side. At the same time, there's a lot of talent on the field in the major leagues. There's a lot of talent in this farm system. When you assess where the Twins are as an organization, top to bottom, how do you see the next few years playing out? Yeah, no, I think like you said, they've been pretty successful at the major league level the last few years. Obviously, the lack of playoff success is a bit unexplainable, to be honest. I mean, the amount of times they've lost very early in the playoffs is just, at this point, it just seems like they're snake bitten. Um, it's tough. Obviously, you don't want to see that, but they have they have been a successful franchise at the major league level. And I think their system, uh, I was really impressed with the depth of this system. I think they have one, one or two really, really good players at the top of the system. And then I think they have like a group of six, including those two um, that are very solid prospects to be at the top. And then really their third tier of prospects, I feel like it extends pretty far into the teens um, and more so than some other systems that I've done. I did the Braves as well, and I think theirs falls off quite a bit quicker than the Twins. So I do think that they're in a pretty good position to continue extending this competitive window with the reinforcements they have coming up soon. Uh, they have a lot of corner bats in this system. Um, and they also have a lot of corner bats at the major league level, depending on kind of the, uh, the people they bring back um, who are already on their major league team. But I think maybe the one question is kind of who is – who is that pitcher who can come out and maybe establish himself as a solid middle of the order rotation guy? There are a couple candidates that could certainly turn into that. I don't know if there are any locks, um, but I think it's a solid system. We had it just outside the top 10 in our most recent organization ranking. And I think it's, it's probably trending in the right direction. Yeah. You mentioned their postseason failures. The twins have lost 18 consecutive postseason games dating back to 2004. And obviously that number is, absolutely insane there's nothing you can really do to explain that mm-hmm. however one of the things that has been fairly constant for the twins in the postseason is they haven't had a starting pitcher who can match up with some of the guys they're facing really since you go back to the early 2000s when you still had brad radke eric milton joe mays but you know more recently you think about games where they threw out guys like Scott Baker against the Yankees, mm-hmm. you know, Randy Dobnak's a great story, but to use your game two starter against the Yankees, you're probably not in great shape. So developing these pitching prospects is going to be key. Again, the twins have had some success. Jose Barrios is homegrown. He's turned out very well. They've made some smart signings, but there's going to need to be more arms to complement what is a very, very good young homegrown position player core. Mm-hmm. But for now, the top of the system is primarily position players. Alex Karoloff took the number one spot, jumping Royce Lewis. Now, this was somewhat of a surprise, but there is a little bit of a history here. Karoloff jumped Lewis in our midseason rankings a little while ago, and they've kind of toggled back and forth, Lewis being the number one overall pick. I think a lot of times people assume he's the best guy in the system. Uh, Karoloff kind of surged ahead here. 
In your discussions with evaluators, both inside and outside the twin system, what were the developments that have Karloff now the number one player in this system over Lewis? Yeah, this was one of the questions that I got in our uh, twins chat that we did online at baseballamerica.com. It's just in a season where there were no minor leagues, how did they kind of flip? And I think really, for me, it was just the consistent feedback that Kirilov is the top player in this system from pretty much everyone that I talked to. I think really the separator is just the confidence uh, that internal and external evaluators have in Kirilov's hitting ability. Um, I think there's a chance that Kirilov is, is at least two grades or, or maybe two full grades better of a hitter than Royce Lewis is. Not to say that Royce Lewis is going to be a bad hitter, but I think Kirilov does everything that you want to see from sort of the elite minor league prospects in terms of like projecting their hitting ability. He's got a smooth swing. Um, he's got power in his hands and his wrist. He makes adjustments very well mechanically and mentally. He's got a low pulse at the plate. He's just a guy who seems like he, he's always going to be kind of consistent. He'll avoid slumps. He can hit for power. He can hit for average. He has enough raw power to be an in, impact middle of the order thumper. But I think he's one of those hitters where if the team or if he himself wanted to, to sacrifice some power and hit for a high average, he could do that. If he wanted to sell out for a little bit more power, I think he could do that as well and still be successful. He is a corner profile type, and I think that's maybe one of the questions you could have and maybe a reason you could put Royce Lewis above him because Royce has a chance to be an impact defender at an up-the-middle position. But I think at the end of the day, the hit tool kind of trumps everything. Um, and Alex Kirloff, just his hit tool and his power – production is is quite a bit better at this point but I do see them as a, a sort of 1a and 1b conversation yeah it's interesting because you talk about the profile and people get very very lost in oh corner only middle of the diamond and there's no question defense is a very very important part of being a successful major leaguer but at the end of the day if you can hit ultimately that's the biggest driver of upside and as you mentioned it's not a situation where it's really close with these two guys as a hitter. You mentioned it's two full grades, and that leads me into the next question. How much is Royce Lewis realistically going to hit? Yeah, I think that, that's the hardest question with Royce. You know, there, there are a lot of things that he does in his swing that aren't what you would put in, like, an ideal hitter if you were making one, like, on paper. Um, he's extremely athletic, and he has plenty of bat speed, and he has plenty of raw power. Uh, but there's a lot of movement in his swing. He gets a little bit pull happy. He has some issues uh, kind of staying uh, in sync with his upper and his lower half, uh, getting his bat path consistently through the zone. He doesn't always have the best outer half plate coverage. He struggled against sliders. So those are a lot of question marks, but I've talked with a lot of people who think that he's just always been a player who's been able to, even if he can't explain to you what his body's doing, he's just that special of an athlete that he kind of just naturally makes those adjustments um, that leads me to think that he might be a guy who's a little bit more of a streaky hitter than a guy like Kirloff. But if he does kind of continue maturing, continue getting these reds, continue getting these ABs, I mean, he has the raw power, the bat speed, the running ability to be an impact offensive type. He's gotten um, George Springer comps previously as a guy who maybe is not a, a great average but has power and speed. Um, I know that's been a frequent comp on his swing specifically. I have him right now as kind of a fringe average hitter. Uh, but I think he's still young enough to where if he does make some adjustments, whether that's in pitch recognition or approach, or even if that's mechanical adjustments, I don't know that he needs to make a ton of mechanical adjustments to have success uh, just because he is such a special athlete. And I think he can, he can make his swing work in ways that maybe other hitters wouldn't be able to. Um, but the hitting is really the question with him. 
in addition to his final defensive home. He's made a lot of progress defensively at shortstop over the summer. He was focused on throwing more consistently, throwing from a lower slot with more confidence. I know for some players going back and forth between the infield and the outfield, it can create some issues with your slot. So if he is throwing more consistently, he definitely has the range for shortstop. And if he can just kind of continue refining that side of his game as well, just getting more consistent, more reliable. He has all the athletic tools uh, and kind of the raw tool set that you want to see for a uh, position player like that. Yeah, I mean, there's no question he's an incredible athlete, but I, I think I do have to push back on the George Springer comp a little bit. Springer hit 302 in the minors and is a career 270 hitter in the majors. For sure. Bruce is a career 266 hitter in the minors. We're talking about a pretty significant difference in the caliber of contact, not to mention Springer's power numbers. His slug was way, way higher. Lewis is a 409 slug. So, I mean, realistically, are we looking at 240, 15 homers, stolen bases, good defense, or, or can he be more than that? I mean, I, I, I don't ever want to say that, that he can't be more than that because, like I said, if he does make those adjustments and, and is able to fully tap into those natural skills, sure, he could, he could be – better than that but I do think you, the key word you said is realistic outcome and I think that's probably a fair realistic outcome I mean he has plus raw power uh, is he going to be a plus power production kind of guy probably not just because of the hit tool and the contact questions that you mentioned but if he is able to give you some power give you some speed on the bases and then provide above average defense at shortstop or maybe center field that's still a pretty valuable player so kind of where he ends up settling in is a is another question but He's fun to dream on, and we'll just he, honestly, we need another season to see what he's going to do because he did struggle at times. He has shown he's been kind of a polarizing player. When he's good, he's really good, and then when he struggled, it's been it's been a bit scary. So, kind of finding out where he is in between that uh, spectrum of results will be interesting. Yeah, and the reason for optimism again, he's 21 years old. He's a fantastic athlete, and he's also a great kid. And makeup is so so important from a work ethic standpoint, from a mixture of humility and confidence standpoint there's a lot of things to like there so i know seeing what he looks like this coming year is going to be one of the more intriguing storylines of the twins farm system carlos these were very clearly the top two they've both been top 25 overall prospects in the ba top 100 moving into the next year how clear was it trevor larnack at number three or and how many guys were kind of in this range if you will yeah, this next year is probably one of the more difficult for me to settle on. Um, the next four players are pretty easy to identify. I think the next group we're looking at here is kind of the second tier is Trevor Larnack, Ryan Jeffers, John Duran, and Jordan Belazovic. Uh, those four were the guys that I was looking at in some order. And I think realistically, you could order them in, in any mix you wanted. I think they're, they're that close. Um, at the end of the day, I went with the hitters over the pitchers in general. And then I think Larnick has a chance to be a more impactful bat than Jeffers, although Jeffers has raised the ceiling and the, the overall grade kind of on him uh, with what he did in this 2020 season. Um, we can get into him a little bit later, but I think Larnick has a chance to be kind of a middle-of-the-order corner bat. Again, this is a system that has a lot of corner outfield, first-base type profiles, uh, but Larnick is always a guy who's had impressive raw power to the opposite field. He's, he's a guy who's the kind of opposite field left center alley is his natural kind of entry point on the field. They've been working to get him to be more aggressive to his pole side to maybe get to some of more of that power in game. And I think he's done a good job with that. At least the feedback on him doing that is pretty good. I don't think he's ever going to be a guy who offers you a ton of value defensively, but he's adequate in a corner and he could play first base if you need to. And if he's hitting uh, for a solid average and for power uh, again, that's a productive major league hitter. 
Yeah, no question. I remember seeing him shortly after the Twins drafted him, and you mentioned that natural opposite field power. It was pretty special. The mixture of physicality and how easy he was just driving balls off the left center wall in games. You don't mm-hmm. see that too often from a, a guy who's fresh out of college. And um, again, we talk about corner only, and you start obsessing over profile. Mm-hmm. The guy can hit. He's always hit. And ultimately, that's going to make him a good major leaguer. And one of the things that kind of circling back to the big league roster here is the Twins did not tender Eddie Rosario a contract. Now Rosario has been a very, very productive hitter defensively and base running hasn't been great at times, but he can hit and there's a lot of things to like about his game. But part of the reason you feel comfortable making that decision and not paying him what he might've made in arbitration is you have an Alex Kirilov who can play a corner outfield spot probably immediately next year. You have Trevor Larnack coming up behind him None of these decisions are made in a vacuum. It's about what you have in your system as well. And having both Kirilov as well as Larnak, I think gives you some some comfortability in making a decision like that. Yeah, definitely. I think you nailed it. I mean, both these guys have a chance to come up and produce at a similar level. And I think Kirilov even has more upside at a much lower cost. And that's clearly what MLB teams are thinking about. And uh, they have a bunch of reinforcements at that specific position in this system. No doubt. So Ryan Jeffers, we saw come up and make his major league debut. Mitch Garver had a really, really, really impressive 2019. He struggled this year. Again, a lot of players dealing with a lot of things, the stress of a COVID year, the shortened season. You don't want to ever bang too much on a guy for struggling in 2020. Uh, But Jeffers came up. He performed very, very well. What's the future for him? And is he going to be the twin starting catcher over Mitch Garver, not just in the long term, but in the short term? Yeah, I mean, honestly, with what Jeffers did this year and how just how much praise the Twins people put on Jeffers, I think it wouldn't be surprising at all for him to be the short-term starter. Um, obviously, there are a lot of teams that use catcher tandems, and I think if Garver kind of bounces back, it wouldn't be a shock to see maybe a 50-50 split. But Ryan Jeffers definitely seems like the type who's kind of turned himself into an average major league catcher with some upside to being above-average catcher. I mean, the difference in his amateur evaluations as a defender and what he was in 2020 is night and day. Uh, He was a late addition to the BA 500 when he was drafted. Uh, There are a lot of scouts who were skeptical that he was going to be able to stick behind the plate. He's a big physical guy um, and people didn't think he was a great defender. He did hit for power at UNCW, but um, there was some skepticism that maybe he got to the power because it was a hitter friendly park, but you have to credit the twins for picking him in the second round ahead of where most people thought he was going to go. And getting him to the major leagues and providing the value that he did as quickly as he did. It's a real success story for their uh, player acquisition and for their player development systems. But, I mean, he is kind of this new school type of catcher who consistently sets up in a one-knee setup um, to help his framing. And he does an excellent job framing. StatCast had him as a 90th percentile receiver this past year, which is exceptional. Um, the Twins value that in their catcher at a, at a really high level. He doesn't control the running game very well because of that, or maybe in part because of that. 14 of 16 um, big league base dealers were successful against him. So I think that's an area where he has some room for improvement. Um, But he's a guy who has solid power. He has solid hitting ability. He's not an elite twitchy hitter who's going to have monster power. But if you can be an average hit, an average power guy as a really, really impressive defensive catcher, as we've seen in the catching landscape today, that's, that's a very valuable player. Mentioned his receiving is something that's been a boon for the Twins and Mm -hmm. how much he's improved in that. Does his value change at all if an automated strike zone comes into play? 
Yeah, I think that's the concern. I mean, I've been thinking about how this changes catcher value for the past few years now, just because typically uh, when, when covering the draft, I mean, the gap between selecting a player in the draft and him becoming a major league player is, is three to four years, at least typically. Um, but yeah, I do think that's, that's a concern um, because if he can't control the running game like he would need to when, uh, when the robo-umps come to town, a lot of his value is in that pitch framing. So I think when that happens, you're going to see just a different type of catcher entirely uh, become more common behind the plate. Right now, um, receiving and pitch framing is the number one job for catchers. When, when that's no longer the case, um, you're going to want your catchers to provide more offense and really just command the running game. So I do think that's going to hurt when that eventually does come. I imagine that's coming soon, but we really don't know at this point. But kind of how he's able to adjust his game and to develop, I guess, will be a big question when that does come. At the same time, good blocker, can hit for average, can hit for power. There's going to be a role for that guy behind the plate somewhere. Mm -hmm. So there's no question he was very, very impressive, really, since he was drafted in the second round out of UNC Wilmington. But the way he rushed up to the majors this year and performed was certainly Mm -hmm. eye-opening. Carlos, this is where the system gets really interesting to me, the pitchers. Because again, as we've talked about, the years of throwing out Nick Blackburn, Brian Dunsing, Scott Baker as your starting pitchers in the playoffs. You know, we talked about Dobnak a few years ago. This is where the Twins are going to have to make a leap getting those frontline caliber starting pitchers. John Duran and Jordan Blazovic have each shown promising things. Do either of these guys have a chance to reach that, or are we looking more in that mid to back of the rotation phylum? I think for both of these guys, that outcome that you just said is probably the most realistic outcome. Uh, I think Duran has a little bit more upside than Balazovic does, and I think Balazovic probably has uh, greater odds to be a starter long-term just because of the fastball command and just overall pitchability that he has. Um, But yeah, I think middle or back of the rotation starter is probably the most likely outcome. Uh, Duran is exciting. He's got two 70-grade pitches and a fastball. Uh, and his splinker, which is one of the more unique offerings in the league. Uh, I know Matt Eddy is really excited about him just because he comes at you at, with, with such a different arsenal uh, and pitch mix. He has really impressive swinging strikeout rates in the low minors, and if he's able to kind of continue missing bats as he progresses up the minor league system, um, he will be very exciting. I think the question for him is just refining uh, a changeup and a curveball to give him a kind of a solid – third and fourth offering just so he has something that's a little bit softer that he can kind of keep hitters off of his more firm offerings. That's going to be the question. Just if he's able to continue starting, I think his stuff could play in a relief role if he needs to fall back there. Um, But he'll probably need to improve his command overall to uh, kind of continue sticking in that starter role. And I think Balazovic um, maybe doesn't have that loud upside because I don't have a 70 grade tool on his card right now. Uh, but he is a guy who I, I think has a chance to be an above average control type plus fastball, solid change up curveball. And that's kind of the pitch mix you typically see with middle or back end starters. Uh, and, and most of the people that I spoke with were pretty optimistic about his ability to start long term. So if you're, if you're more of a fan of the safe starter profile, maybe Balazovic is your guy. If you're dreaming on a little bit of upside more, maybe Duran is your guy. But they're, they're right beside each other in the system for me. Yeah, and one thing I should note, you know, I'm referencing these twin starters in some cases from 10 years ago. The one-two they had this year of Kent Mayan and Jose Barrios was very, very good. They did their jobs in the wild card mm-hmm. series. The Twins' offense just kind of didn't step up the way they had mm-hmm. most of the season. So if those two continue pitching like they have, maybe they don't need 
whether it's Duran, whether it's it, it, Balazovic, that is how we pronounce it. Um, not positive to be honest. I don't want to put I don't want to put anything out there that's actually not accurate. I've been saying Balazovic, I think. Okay. I'll have to double check for him. <laughs> I had heard Balazovic, so we'll figure that one out. But even if these two guys do become mid to back rotation types, again, Maida and Barrios, we have to see how long, you know, of course, stay healthy and how long they're under mm-hmm. contract. And there's all sorts of things that can happen and things can change, but if those two guys are at the front of the rotation pitching like they did this year and this postseason, then they don't need these guys to be that mid to front of the rotation guy. So I do think that builds in some good things for the twins, mm-hmm. especially with the offensive core they have. No doubt. Yeah. I think there are a couple of teams who've, who've succeeded recently without having that kind of typical ace in the rotation. The Braves without Soroka had a bunch of two or three type pitchers. If you have enough of those guys and they're pitching well, you can still be successful depending on how your offense is, how your defense is, and your bullpen, obviously. But at this point, that was another one of the questions I got in the chat is, is there like a number one or number two starter profile in the system? For me, unless someone takes a massive step forward, I don't see that at the moment. But these are definitely two guys you can plug into a rotation um, and just have a couple of valuable arms that can provide innings and miss bats. So no number ones for me in the system, but a couple of really nice arms to have. Well, considering there's at best maybe two or three potential number one starters yeah. in the entire minor leagues at a given time, that's exactly. yeah, it's it's not you know a bad thing. The Twins don't have a number one. Those guys they are they don't very, grow on trees. <laughs> those guys are very, very, very rare in the major leagues, let alone the minors. So yeah, it's it's not a bad thing. That you know, having as many good potential starting pitching prospects as you can is a good thing. Carlos, you mentioned this was the three to six tier. Aaron Sabato, their first round pick out of your alma mater, North Carolina, checked in at number seven. This top six group has either been in the top 100 or is in the top 100. Jeffers hasn't been there, but he kind of played his way into that level of consideration with what he did. Mm -hmm. Once you get past this top six, it does feel like you drop into a little bit of a, a lower tier of guys of, you know, potentially good players, but not standout impact types, at least from the outside looking in. Is that fair or am I missing someone? Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, with the caveat that all these players could take a step forward and maybe change their profile depending on what they do in the future. But yeah, I think you're right. All these guys, for me, are at best like solid regulars and there's nothing wrong with a solid regular. Um, But yeah, this is definitely where it kind of turns into that third tier. But the, uh, the thing again is I think this third tier extends outside of the top 10. It was tough for me to kind of figure out who was going to be the next four players that made this list. There were four or five other players that I think have a legitimate um, consideration to, to kind of make the back 10 of this list. There are some guys who have really exciting upside but have a lot of things to figure out. Um, players like Yoni Cavaco, players like Michelle Urbina, and then there are some players who maybe don't have as much upside, uh, but you know you're going to get major league value with them, guys like Brent Rooker um, and just guys of that uh, kind of mold. There are a lot of those guys like Matt Walner, I think is more, more along the lines of that type of player. Uh, but I do think there's a lot of major league value in some capacity with a lot of these players. I mean, you mentioned Aaron Sabato. Again, this is another corner bat. All of his value is going to be derived from the offensive ability, but he's got massive power, maybe the best raw power in the system. Um, and he was described as like a Spencer Torkelson light uh, in the draft class. He doesn't have that kind of hit tool or that athleticism, um, but he's got a chance to be an average hitter with a really good power. And then you get into some guys uh, who are solid pitching prospects. Matt Canarino and Blaine Enlow are both really good pitchers. Uh, they don't have blow you away stuff, 
But again, uh, I think they've got pretty good odds to, to remain starters moving forward. You mentioned there was a group of guys below the top 10 that very well could have been in consideration. Mm-hmm. You mentioned Keone Cavaco. You mentioned Masail Urbina. You mentioned Brent Rooker. Who was the closest? Um, to be honest, the, probably one guy who, who I didn't mention, Cole Sands. Uh, we got really good feedback from how he was kind of developing over the summer. His stuff sounds really impressive at this point. Uh, and again, another guy who's just a very polished pitcher, his breaking ball has taken a step forward and it's a really high spin rate pitch. He's got a chance for three above average offerings. Um, so he's probably the guy who was the closest at the end of the day. Um, but I wouldn't say it's a massive gap between him and these other players we're talking about. They're all in the same phylum of players, I would say. Yeah, I want to ask about Keone Cavaco. The Twins took him with the 13th overall pick in 2019. He was someone that showed some exciting tools that a lot of national level evaluators really, really liked. Um, Mm -hmm. But I help out with a lot of the Southern California draft calls and a lot of the area scouts who saw him day after day after day had a lot of concerns about whether or not he was going to hit. It was kind of funny to me how many area scouts said I might take him in the seventh round and how many Mm -hmm. national level scouts said they wanted him in the first round. The flash of tools, the consistency wasn't there, especially at the plate. He had a very, very difficult professional debut in the rookie level Gulf Coast League. Mm -hmm. What's the latest on him and his development? Yeah, I think he's just a guy that you're probably going to want to be patient with if you're a Twins fan. They're working on a lot of foundational elements with him, trying to get him in a consistent um, bat path at the plate, trying to uh, improve his pitch selection, trying to improve his bat-to-ball skills. Uh, It's just a lot of foundational elements on both sides of the ball, really. Um, He needs to be more consistent with his um, glove skills. He needs to be more consistent in kind of moving left to right defensively. He still does have tools. He does have power. He does have a strong arm. Um, But the swing and miss is a real concern. Uh, He's had swing and miss against velocity at a pretty significant rate. That was concerning in his pro debut. He's had swing and miss against sliders. Uh, I think the swing and miss against velocity is probably the biggest concern right now. Um, But maybe if he's able to kind of get himself in a better position at the plate uh, and make his bat pass a little bit more direct, get through the zone a little bit, um, a little bit quicker then he can replicate those issues, but he's not going to be a player who's moving through the system quickly by any means. He would have been a, two-time rookie ball candidate if we had a minor league season. Uh, And he's a guy that I honestly liken to Austin Beck, who was drafted out of high school a few years earlier, another really toolsy high school player who didn't play against great competition in high school and really struggled in his pro debut. Um, Obviously, you don't want that to be the case for your first-round pick, um, but it's too early to give up on him because he is young. He does still have tools, but he has to show a lot of growth in every phase of the game. Yeah, and one reason to be optimistic with that particular comparison is Cavaco played excellent, excellent competition in high school. Uh, East Lake High School in San Diego is, you know, one of the top programs and one of the most baseball-rich areas of the country, and he was facing studs day after day. So, mm-hmm. you know, just have to see if he can kind of make some adjustments and figure some things out. That'll be, I think, again, one of the more interesting kind of lower-level minor league storylines for the Twins farm system in the 2021 season. Carlos, any final thoughts here just on the Twins as a whole, the system they've put together, and most importantly, how it projects to impact the Major League team? No, I just think it's a, it's a, it's a good system. It's a deep system. It's one of the, again, take this with a grain of salt because I don't cover as many of the top 30s as you do, Kyle, and I've only done it for a few years now, but it's one of the deeper systems that I've personally gotten my hands on. I think 
even if you might not be looking at stars once you get further into this list, there's a lot of players who can impact the major league team and help help the Twins, again, continue expanding their competitive window now because they're winning games. Uh, they're still going to compete next year. And I think there are a number of players uh, who are going to impact the major league team very quickly on this list. Yeah, you only have to look recently. Guys like Luis Arias came up a few years ago. He's already become a standout second baseman in the major leagues that followed the wave of Max Kepler, Eddie Rosario, Miguel Sano, Byron Buxton, Jorge Polanco. Now, not all of them have been the players that maybe some people thought they would be, particularly in the case of Sano and Buxton, but they're still in the major leagues. They're still helping, and there's been a lot of other really, really good players to come up. Uh, we saw Brent Rooker make his major league debut last year. Uh, we've seen guys like Lewis Thorpe come up even. It helps. They contribute, and that makes a difference at the end of the day. So I'll be very interested to see how this next wave comes up and helps. Again, the Twins are in a great spot. Two-time AL Central champions. They have some competition with the White Sox building up, but the Twins are the top of the class right now, and it's their mantle until someone knocks them off. Absolutely. All right, Carlos. Well, thank you so much for joining us. We really, really appreciate your insight. Thank you for listening to the latest edition of the Baseball America podcast. Go ahead and give us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, whatever platform you're listening on. We'd love to hear from you. For Carlos Colazzo, I'm Kyle Glazer. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, everybody. <laughs>